0: Sad thing about uh, mythology is that we don't even know what it means. Mm. We sort of just connect it to myths. No myths. Myths is not a study. Mythology is not a study of myths at all. It also includes legends and lores. You know, folk stories. All these stories. It's. I think it is the first way of storytelling. Mm. And storytelling, which has survived so many centuries. So why has it survived so many centuries? Because I think the fact that they are very relatable. And when I'm doing my research, I realize how much these stories I could identify with them. And if I can identify with the stories, I want the readers also to do identify with them. You know, that is what makes the story so relatable. As an author, I have to make the stories relatable because they are relatable. <laughs>
1: Namaste and welcome to Indian Artpreneur. I am your host Shweth Nag. On today's episode, we have Mrs. Kavita Kane, who is the best-selling author of six novels and is considered a revolutionary force in Indian writing. All her six novels are based on lesser-known women in Indian mythology. Her works include Karuna's Wife, Sita's Sister, Menaka's Choice, Lanka's Princess, the Fisher Queen's Dynasty, Ahalya's Awakening, and recently launched book Saraswati's Gift. On this episode, we discuss about Mrs. Kane's writing process, inspiration, and approach towards writing fiction-based novels on mythological characters. So, let's talk to Mrs. Kavita Kane.
2: Welcome to Indian Art uh, Thank you for being with us, uh, Mrs. Kane.
0: Hello, Shwetna and a very good morning to you because it's morning in India.
2: Very good morning. So my first question to you: How do you generally think of structure to your story? Do you begin in the middle and then think of the start and the end, or do you go with this three-part structure of storytelling?
0: Uh, honestly, I definitely know my beginning and my end. You know, it's like in fact many times I know the end. I even know my ending line. You know, it's it's uh, that sort of a trigger, and uh, which actually makes, uh, help the narrative flow, Uh, but uh, roughly, you know, uh, I do have, uh, I do have this, uh, what do you say, uh, this three-act structure, definitely, uh, you know, it starts off with the setup, like the first act, and then the confrontation and the resolution. You know, I have this uh, because it has to be. It has to fit. The drama flows that way. Uh, but uh, yes, during the course of it, uh, what really changes is, uh, how, especially the middle part. You know, it's where where the maximum action and uh, where it typically depict depicts what uh, the protagonist or the main character is at, attempting to resolve the problem. I think that becomes. Uh, sometimes can become very lengthy, you know, so mm-hmm. sort of uh, sort of limiting the denouement. So what I actually do was uh, I, I really believe in the epilogue and the prologue, you know, where uh, it gives me a definite a definitive beginning and a definitive end to the mm-hmm. uh, to what I have to say. So, yes, structure wise, uh, definitely it is. Uh, it has all the three. Uh, Mm, while I'm writing, yes, it definitely has all the three parts. Uh, but uh, when I'm thinking, when it's, it's it actually starts, let me say, it starts off with the ideation, the story okay. ideation. And then I have to actually sit down and, uh, you know, uh, usually I start backwards more than, mm-hmm. uh, uh, honestly, since I remember, I know how it is going to end and uh, what is the last line. I, I start going backwards, right, backwards in the sense, right. Again, I sort of jump to the beginning and then sort of devise how I would like it to start. And then then I think, uh, actually, you know, forming a skeleton as such, because since the matter per se about that particular character is very less. So many times, like example, with Saraswati's uh, book, uh, there were many assorted stories or mentions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, trying to join the dots, And uh, bringing it to a, you know, a fluid narrative Mm -hmm. that becomes a challenge in itself, you know, because there has to be some sort of a chronology, which actually in this book, there is no chronology, time chronology, because uh, 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 as the birth of the goddess and how she is, you know, interacting Mm -hmm. with the other celestials and other, other events and episodes connected with her. Uh, there was no, no time frame because, you know, like it was jumping from the Ramayana to the Mahabharata to the beginning of the earth, uh, beginning of the world, you know. So uh, trying to join in, trying to give some sort of a uh, linear uh, um, f- movement to the book is okay. uh, becomes uh, becomes actually for me a little problematic because uh, there are some character because there there are just few episodes and you are sort of sort of dramatize between the episodes. I have to dramatize it. So mm-hmm. keeping that, keeping the time frame in mind, because it, these are assorted stories. You know, there are stories from the Ramayana, from the Mahabharata, and the Puran. The same story, the same character. So mm-hmm. you know, the stories also change, the versions change. So keeping that all that in mind, I think it becomes a it does become a roughly a three act structure. But uh, I think, the, as I said, the biggest problem was is trying to give it a certain cohesiveness.
2: Okay. Uh, then the question about friction in each of these chapters, uh, when you have uh, some friction that you need to create, you have to always keep it uh, less friction than overcoming the final resolution, right? So uh, so you, there is a lot of work that goes in overcoming these friction elements as well. I think you need to think through if this friction, what the character meets, the uh, protagonist meets in the first Chapter or second chapter should be less than what she meets in the end. So there should be a lot of thought process, I think. Uh, yes, yeah, because
0: uh, because I tell you again, the, the problem which I face uh, it didn't happen with Saraswati because everyone knows about Saraswati, but mm. uh, my other books, my, most of the characters are quite unknown. They are minor being unminor characters. Many people mm. are not familiar with them. So mm. what happens is uh, actually the character build up has to you know the first three chapters. Actually, mm. the character build up who she is and you know sort of because let's say, uh, Surupanaka or Ailya, the two, uh, uh, the, uh, they are just episodes mentioned in the epics, you know, and then, but who was Ailya? No one knows. Surupanaka, everyone knows she is the sister of Ravan, but we don't know her beginnings. So most of these characters, you don't know the beginning, how they start. So actually, I have to start the story with their beginnings, you know. So the story and the, the, the beginning of their life actually sort of coincide. So the character build up starts from the very first line and okay. sort of introducing her and then uh, uh, it sort of moves forward and progresses. And then the, uh, of course, and then we are, we are talking about fiction here. Now the, the, the fiction and uh, dramatization, as, as I said, is, uh, I would say the fact, whatever episodes I have or whatever mm-hmm. material I have or whatever events I to want to talk about, it becomes, forms the skeleton of the frame you know, mm-hmm. of the story and uh, I have to sort of flesh it out with, uh, you know, that becomes fiction. So, the okay. dramatization actually is the fiction part.
2: Okay. In one of the interviews, you say that you have outgrown the protagonist and antagonist way of storytelling. What's the reason for that?
0: Actually, because I think uh, we have this very age-old trope of, you know, there is this conflict between the protagonist and the antagonist. You know, there is the hero and the villain. Mm. I think the two most uh, important and essential characters in the narrative. But what uh, I am interested in only telling the story of that particular character. So I'm not interested in um, whether he or she is black or white. Hmm. Uh, so whether she's the hero or the heroine, uh, or whether she's the villain or the vamp. I'm more interested, I'm not interested in the black and white at all. I'm interested in the greys. So what happens, actually, uh, my characters can very swiftly start off well, technically, uh, ethically, uh, as a good character, can go into the darker shades and almost become, uh, you know, well, almost become vampish, it, like it happens in uh, Satyavati, in the Fischikinian dynasty. So yeah. here, she, has, she is the protagonist and she is the antagonist herself. Well. So I think uh, here, this whole uh, roles, which we have of an antagonist and a protagonist, she's playing the same role. It happens with Minka also, you know, uh, where mm. many times I think they because I think that whole, uh, that particular act, uh, character, the protagonist, let's say, now I'm talking about the protagonist here, uh, of this bow, of my bow, mm. they go through a lot of, they. you cannot uh, deem them um, black or white, because I think they, while going through their journey, they go through the gray shades also. Absolutely. So now, so from the white, if you're going to move into the dark, so I think they themselves become antagonist and then again they become protic. So that becomes the character arc of that. Not only becomes the character arc of the protagonist of the, uh, but also I think shows her journey, shows her travels, shows her follies, her mistakes, how she understands from a mistake. Like example, I think a classic example again is Aelia. You know, mm-hmm. the realization. So I think uh, the protagonist and the antagonist, uh, the, the entire trope falls short in my books only because it was that main character becomes the protagonist as well as the antagonist of our own story. Uh,
2: because this is a very brilliant way of thinking, you know, not just black and white, but also think looking at what's in the grades, really. Yes,
0: brilliant. because that is what happens in real life. Yes. I mean, you might be nice to person <laughs> A uh, 10 years ago and 10 years down, you're not nice to that person A for whatever reason. And then yes. again, you after after realizing, okay, I was childish or whatever, and I'm again you're nice to the person. You know that happens in real life. You cannot have yes. you. You are the hero and the villain of your own story. So why do you need brilliant. someone
2: else? Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> what do you think are the key components of storytelling or retelling of mythological stories from?
0: Ah, uh, yes, that's important because a. I think uh, I always keep in mind these stories are not my own. B, the characters are not my own. So both the story and the characters are borrowed. So <laughs> I have to be very careful to stick to the original. I like to stick to the original. I do not, see, even if I give it a different point of view, uh, mm. what the image is, is in the collective uh, imagination of the people, I do not want to sort of shatter that at all because mm. uh, then it becomes the antithesis of what you're going to, you know, what the image is. So. Mm. What I would, uh, what I personally do, I think what I feel while doing, uh, uh, especially when retelling a mythological story, I think uh, what is most important is the uh, 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 is uh, the fact that the main story what you are going to tell, mm-hmm. you know that has to be told well. You know the story. It, as I said, it's a borrowed story, but that story has to be told in such a way that it is not. What has been heard so many times, you know, before. Mm-hmm. So I try to give it a certain fresh perspective, a certain fresh interpretation through a minor character. You know, that's what I'm actually. So the plot becomes the plot is very important. I think the most important part about storytelling is the plot. You know, mm-hmm. how you sort of weave the plot uh, into like since these, as I said earlier, these are episodes. You know, there are small episodes in the in the epic. So how mm-hmm. I weave this plot this particular plot into the narrative is very important uh, for my storytelling, because I think, uh, as I said, the story is very, very important, how you treat the subject, you know, the the treat the subject, the the character, that the plot is important here. The second, I think, uh, is the characters, the characters and the characterization. Mm -hmm. So where, um, for me, again, I said, uh, since my protagonist is usually minor characters, I don't have much information about them. So what I actually do is I try to extract whatever I can through the major characters and the events or the episodes revolving around them. So -hmm. that is how my character build up of the protagonist actually happened. So let's say uh, Satyavati. I mean, Satyavati was, she's there chronologically. She's there for a very long span in the epic. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you see, there's not much about her. So I had to rely completely on Bhishma. So it happens with all my stories. With Urmila, it was Lakshman and Sita, you know. Or with Menka, it was Vishwamitra, was a much huge character than her. Mm. So I think I try to build the characters of, let's say, a Menka or Urmila or Aila or Surpanaka through the main characters in their life, like whether it's Ravan, you know. So Mm. through them, I try to find some sort of a, you know if she is ravan's sister how would she be, have been you mm. know or if she is kumbhakarna's sister she is the sister of these three very remarkable men you know very who mm. are achievers and how would she be so i think this character building actually uh, you know she is not my character she is uh, everyone is familiar about asuraparna kailya but mm. or something like what i did for ailya ailya uh, was supposed to be created by brahma and she was the perfect uh, um, Perfect woman. So, so But perfection, when she was almost a personification of perfection. But when you talk about perfection, means that it's without blemishes. But Ahilya means that. Ahilya yeah. actually means without blemishes, but I wanted to humanize her. So I, I had read, a, in the, I used that thread where she is actually a twin of uh, a king called Devadas to mm-hmm. try to humanize her and uh, sort of dilute the divinity in her. So these sort of things, you know, like when I'm building the character uh, from this uh, original stories, uh, Because I think this happens also because I have to contemporize this, contemporaryize this story, you know, sort of make it relevant to today's world, to today's views, to today's people, to today's readers, to today's society. And you realize the issues are the same, but the characters are old, you know. so trying to link uh, sort of bridge these two epochs, I think mm. that, that becomes a part of the storytelling. Then of course then there's thing, things like elements in storytelling like a theme you know, the theme of what do I want to really talk about? So that again uh, is very, very strongly um, very it's, 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 it, it, it is a sort, of, sort of instilled with a certain modern sensibility uh, mm. because uh, you know, it's like Saraswati, when I'm talking about Saraswati, I am talking about uh, not only uh, knowledge, uh, she is the goddess of learning and knowledge, but I'm talking about modern concepts like education, women's education, mm-hmm. um, you know, this uh, whole concept of equality in uh, marriage and love, uh, equality in you know, the, the concept of marriage and motherhood. So all these topics uh, mm-hmm. are sort of inserted, become the, become the theme uh, and an important component of storytelling. So And of course, the last I think is what is really important is I think the dialogues. you know, when two characters sort of interact, I believe that is very important because uh, what language I use, that is very important because you can't use very, very modern language, but you can't use very archaic language because then it becomes very didactic, you know. So sort of trying to keep a balance between the old and the new and uh, basically a very fluid, racy conversation, which, which is smoothly uh, is interwoven into the narrative again. You know? So okay. I think, I think personally, I think I would say the story, that is the plot, the story, plot, character, I think dialogues. I think these okay. are the most important for me, at least when I am okay. sort of trying to take things, uh, sort of taking certain material from uh, the in your classical text. I think this is what I really see.
2: Okay, and that leads to my, because the answer of that question also leads to my next question. You know, Be it a dancer, musician or artist or an author, one needs to develop their own voice in narrating a story. How should one develop this? Where should they start? You know?
0: I think try to be original in the sense, uh, be very honest with what you are writing. You have, your own writing has to be very honest. It has to, it sounds very cliched, but it has to come from the heart. And of course, sort of fine tuned with the mind, you know, but it has to come uh, because that, that's the only way your voice, your voice has to be original because uh, it cannot, it should not be duplicated because, you know, it's like if someone writes like another author, you say, oh, he's writing like that author, you know, he remind me of that author. Mm. That means that author is in a way unconsciously being influenced by this, some other author. So I think the voice is very important because you have to have an individual because that develops into an your individual style. That mm-hmm. is going to be your style in, in eventually. So when I, I'm talking about the debut book, I'm, I'm just trying to be, yeah. when I wrote my first book, Arna's Wife, I think I actually wrote it. I think that's one of my most raw books. In a sense, I just wrote it as, a, as it came out. I mean, okay. the editing and all of course is there, but that was my most frank uh, mm-hmm. Uh, let's say a story way of telling a story where mm. I didn't know uh, let's say I was sort of quite uh, unaware of the technical finish I think it might not it definitely does not have a let's say a technical finish but uh, like the later books, perhaps mm. perhaps I'm, I really wouldn't know but I think that book was one of my most uh, or even Sita sister though the first two books were very very uh, it came straight from the heart, literally. I mean, these two books, okay. I, I must say. So the voice is important because uh, mm, it is your unique way of writing. You know, mm. you have to develop it. Or it comes from, it, it is very instinctive. It, but uh, uh, I think as you go, as the flow comes, I think you realize that it has developed into your way of writing, both in terms of the narrative as well as the character voice, you know, because, uh, uh, this because that voice has to be very distinct that it has to be very original and uh, i think very uh, and most importantly it has to be very honest so now that voice what you say can be not only the way you treat the subject very important how the the point of view uh, mm-hmm. but also your language your vocabulary your tone you know you know your your syntax you know all these all this forms a certain different individualistic identity of writing, you know, uh, because uh, that again gets translated. That is what is called style. So, okay. uh, here I think uh, what I could say is uh, my voice when I try to write, I think, A, I think is the point of view. I think it happened by default that I started writing about uh, marginalized characters, women marginalized, uh, female marginalized characters, you know, who are often overlooked and all. And that by default became uh, a niche of its own. So I think my point of view uh, here was women in uh, the epics and uh, classical texts. And not only women, they were marginalized women whom we otherwise know of, but we really don't, we know but we really don't know much about them you know that sort of a paradox is there in their identity mm-hmm. so I think that helped me again not it uh, sort of helped me understand my own intentions mm-hmm. and uh, also helped me develop a strong voice and my own style you know because through these characters I developed my voice I, I should say because by giving by lending them a voice I developed my own voice you know it, it actually it was also a process it was a, it was a journey we did together Thank then i much. think uh, what is very important i am here i'm talking about technicalities of uh, yes. voices uh, mm. let's say first person second person third person so usually mm. it's, uh, these are written in first person and third person second person is usually rare uh, and avoidable because uh, in, uh, for me at least because when i am writing these stories i cannot uh, what uh, i think uh, in books like uh, I think it was uh, main cause, where when I find that there's not much matter about her, and the other character is a bigger character, like Ishuma Mitrava, I try to run parallel stories, you know, where uh, her story goes is because and by in the middle of the book they sort of meet up. So while giving to a voice to both these characters, yeah. what I'm actually doing is using the first of the first person and the third person together, you know where, okay. like, uh, Lankat Princess was completely first person. In the sense, it was completely her point of view. I was writing mm-hmm. her story in her, the way she viewed what happened to her life. But that was okay. not the case of, let's say, uh, in uh, Menka's story, um, Minka's choice. That book is the where both the characters were equal, uh, got equal space, you know, or it happened with, uh, let's say, which one? Satyavati's book the fisher okay. queen where bishma also has a certain pov and uh, Satyavati also has a, so i think these uh, this first person third person you have to be it it can be intermingled of course so that also becomes that how you use the you know sort of a, are you using it in a consistent voice for your narration or you're mm. going to sort of interplay them i think it depends on you and on, on the characters which you're talking about mm. then i think uh, I think the most important part, again, is uh, voice, uh, sort of when uh, defining the voices, how you balance uh, the narrative and the dialogues. I think that was that I learned very early in my first book, because I think my first book has a lot of narrative. So uh, then I came to know that what is important is trying to make a balance between, strike a balance between the narrative and dialogue, because dialogues are also very necessary. It gives a certain movement. Uh, a certain drama to the voice, you know, because they, actually that character is talking. So, correct, it is correct. Literally, it, it, it is, the voice is literally there. And while yes. it becomes the author's voice, especially when you're talking about issues and all, you know. Um, yes. So, uh, literally here it is uh, the author's voice uh, rather the character voicing out aloud the author's thought, you know. So in many times mm. it does happen that way. And if you have to give, to, uh, like, let's say, the other side of your argument. So mm. I think dialogues help there. You know, if uh, I used it very, again, often in uh, Saraswati, where Saraswati and Brahma are two opposing uh, sort of views. And uh, if there is an argument, the counter argument mm. is also there. So I think the voice, again, is, uh, I'm trying to be very, uh, let's say, not fair, but at least it, I'm trying to be very democratic about it where, okay, let's hear both sides of the conversation, you know, of the argument, you know, where, so why is here again, uh, lens, uh, it gives a certain uh, democratic, uh, a democracy, a certain, um, what do you say, a certain liberal uh, way of looking at things, you know, where you, it is not myopic at all, you know, we are not, it is not centered on one character's point of view. There are other points of view which are being uh, discussed and debated. So your voice again, literally the author's voice sort of um, completely um, melds with the character's voice and uh, it does become your distinctive style eventually.
1: Okay.
2: Very interesting. Very, very interesting uh, thing you said. Um, In your research, did you ever come across the way music and dance was placed in our mythology?
0: Oh, very often. I think in Menka's shows, I uh, I think it was completely on that. It was, in fact, I wrote about Menka because she was an Apsara and I was completely fascinated by this this concept of Apsarat and Gandharva who are the personification of, again, dance and music respectively. You know, so where uh, it is such an important part where dance and music are expressions of emotions, and that they've actually described different emotions. And, you know, and each emotion is, again, they have a subtext and they're layers to it. So music and dance in our text are characters. They're very, very important. So this very fact that the Apsarat and the Gandharva uh, mm. are there, you know, this whole thing of the Indralok having these two, I think that shows that music and art was so uh, it's very palpable in the in the in the narrative you know if you, in the in the narrative of both the epics if you actually see more more in the mahabharat than the ramayana say but mm-hmm. uh, i think these two uh, these two apsaras you know, and the Gandharas are and then i think in this book the in the latest book saraswati uh, i have tried to sort of incorporate the whole concept of music how important music and dance and art is in and and the, the role they play you know the role they play in defining uh, uh the, the the different people in the uh, the story let's say mm-hmm. um, you know how she how like she was a goddess of learning and knowledge and music and art but mm-hmm. how she sort of she did not it was not a privilege she sort of earned that status you know how she got music to the world how she you know so i think all this part of uh the stories of music and uh, art and uh, dance and I think they are uh, different. Uh, they are different episodes in itself. You know, each one uh, there is a certain significance. I mean, let's say uh, you know even the story of let's say uh, it is not considered debauchery. You know, this is very important. I mean, this whole thing of music and art is uh, music and dance is almost spiritual it is a way of connecting to god connecting to your own self connect it's a it's a means of self realization so i think it as i said there it is uh, they are character it almost becomes a character it becomes an emotion it becomes it is a very palpable fact in the uh, uh, woven in the text definitely
2: uh, how has reading mythology personally helped you
0: Oh, it's the biggest lesson. I mean, uh, in every way. I mean, you know, the most sad thing about uh, mythology is that we don't even know what it means. Mm. We sort of just connect it to myths. No, myth, myths is not a Mythology is not a study of myths at all. It also includes legends and lores, you know, folk stories. All these stories. It's, I think it is the first way of storytelling. Mm. And storytelling which has survived so many centuries. So why has it survived so many centuries? Because I think the fact that they are very relatable. Mm-hmm. And when I'm doing my research, I realize how much these stories I could identify with them. And if I can identify with the stories, I want the readers also to identify with them. You know, That is what makes these stories so relatable. As an author, I have to make these stories relatable because they are relatable. And I think I, I am fascinated by the fact that you know you sort of, why do we like, let's say, a Mahabharata more than the Raman? Honestly, you know, we are sort of fascinated more by Mahabharata because Mahabharata, I think, it deals with every emotion, every crisis, every human crisis, every situation, which you can think of, anything. I think it is a uh, it is a master book of, let's say, psychology or psychoanalysis absolutely i mean you see each character each event and you sort of not one character is like the other so i think this becomes a lesson yourself you know for me it becomes a lesson not only in uh, personal uh, terms you know like but also i think uh, the whole art of storytelling i mean these stories when you know how one story is interwoven into the other Uh, you know, they are sort of this whole thing of the, the recall factor, you know, or many of the stories are recall factor, like Minka stories, menka Vishwa stories told by someone else. So, And how that particular story is supposed to be a lesson to this man, you know, the character whom he's telling it to, or the story of Nal Damayanti is told to Yudhishthira to know that gambling is bad, you know, but still he does not listen and goes ahead. So, each of them, they had, they don't, besides having a very strong moral element, I think it has a very strong philosophical element. So, I think that is the biggest influence, I think, to, not only to me, and I think even to the readers. I think it has, uh, our stories, our stories of the epics have very, very, they are so deep and they are so layered that I think every time you read them, you not only find a different meaning, but I think you find a different uh, value and worth to it.
2: Um, how has been the response to mythological genre books in India?
0: Oh, huge. It's, I think currently, I think it's one of the most popular genres.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, I think it's sort of, it's very ironical that about, like us mm. say, 10, uh, 20 years ago, there were publishers, or 15 years ago even, uh, publishers yeah. who refused to take uh, these books because they were, uh, we don't have mythology as a genre, you know, there's to mm. stuff. And now... Uh, these publishers have their own stable of uh, mytho, mytho fiction writers. So that just proves that how popular uh, the genre began. And it was going to become popular because I think we, all this time in English, I'm talking about because in regional literature, uh, uh, mythology has always been this, uh, the epics. I mean, the Raman and mm-hmm. the, I mean, I'm, again, that is a very wrong word when I'm using. Uh, uh, the, the stories of the epics and the Purans have always been a part of the literature, of regional literature, always. You know? So yeah. because we are writing in English, I think we sort of suddenly this seems to be a newfound uh, fact. But uh, yeah. no, it's not that. I think uh, uh, literature and uh, the epics have always been very closely related. And I think every, every uh, creative person, whether he's a writer, whether he's a painter, whether he's a sculptor, have used the epi- the stories of the epics to express his thoughts. So I think uh, these stories, as I said, have a huge impact, have always had a huge impact and will have a huge impact on us, on our lives, on our daily lives, on our cultural lives, on our social lives, because it is not just stories they have, it's, uh, it's everything. I mean, it's, it, it carries a socio-cultural, political ethos, everything. It, it is, uh, there is a certain history behind it, there is a certain geography behind it, there is a the whole elements of culture and uh, 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 socio-political elements. So mm-hmm. uh, it is just, and of course, the character, you know, they all, uh, there is a certain personal affinity to these characters. So um, John, then if you, all this, if you are going to term it in mythology, then yes, mythology becomes an extremely powerful tool to actually mm-hmm. canvas uh, a certain contemporary sensibility by mm-hmm. retelling all those stories. You know, you are sort of, well, uh, by retelling the stories, you are not just, re- these stories are just not being retold. They have been told with uh, by uh, with a certain new revisioning, a new a reinterpretation of characters and events and giving a completely fresh perspective. And it's been happening, the very fact that it, it, this has been happening through the centuries. That is why they are still alive and living today. You know, they did not because every time they were revisioned and they were new versions. If, if, when you say you have so many versions of uh, the Mahabharata and the uh,
2: mm.
0: uh, Rama, what do these versions mean? It's a different perspective, actually, right. which the author had the freedom to express. Mm. So I think uh, the very fact that there are so many versions means that it was always a popular genre. And I think uh, today, yes, uh, definitely it is... Uh, the readers want to know more, especially the youth, you know, it's like, there's a certain vacuum. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a certain void, they want to know more stories, because that is there. As I said, there is a very strong personal connect, it is not just about, it has a very strong uh, philosophical content. So all these, you know, this this, uh, sense of identification, this sense of Mm-hmm. Rationalization, the sense of immediacy which you have with these stories and the people. I think that is why uh, this genre is very popular and powerful. Yes, yeah. because one thing I would definitely like to tell my readers is that, okay, whatever I have written is still fiction, it's myth of fiction. Mm-hmm. I would definitely like them to go and read the original story, you know, see what the yeah. original story was, what is the space it has uh, mm-hmm. in the big narrative. You know? Just a small episode, so the character might be a small character. But there is a reason why they are there. They're not just there to populate the uh, narrative or the popular the whole. But the thing is it's there because they are triggers. They are triggers mm. for the story to move forward. There is a lesson okay. that is to be told. So I think it's been told by this by this particular character and the situation that he's in.
2: Do you mm-hmm. ever see the need to check the stories, keeping it integrity? Or do you give it to do you approach someone to check if that interpretation is correct or? Is it yes, yes it right that way? I
0: have. Yes, that I have to keep on doing. The research is part of that, because okay. uh, rechecking whether they are, you know, right from the name of the character, the spellings of the characters to the validity, you know, how how I validate it, you know, the validation mm, that mm. all everything is very important because I have to keep rechecking and rechecking, and especially uh, this entire thread of folk, you know, the folklore and all. There are many times, as I told you before, uh, mm. a story which is mentioned in the Ramayana change in the Mahabharata. and then in, in the Purana, it's completely different so we are here we are talking about different versions so it depends on me which version i want to take uh, to go you know if i'm going to expand on that particular version give it a certain rationality uh, give it a certain fluidity all that it has to be constantly checked and rechecked because uh, you know they because the discrepancy shouldn't be there Uh, It actually happened with my Saraswati this time story because, as I said, I was grappling with this time factor. And then I realized uh, she being the goddess, I think she had the liberty to break the shackles of time because, as I said, the story was jumping from Ramayana to Mahabharata, you know. So, otherwise, in a story of a mortal, this would not have happened. But I think I took that creative liberty because she was a goddess, you know, this sort of thing. And you keep on checking, rechecking. Uh, Because then then they were just like assorted stories put together. Okay. So uh, the the checking rechecking part is extremely important because which uh, uh, story or uh, uh, it happened with Chirupana's story, I took the story where she actually uses Raman and Lakshman to take revenge on uh, her brother Ravan, you know, mm-hmm. because that was part of a folklore I read. So I think that this sort of uh, and then sticking to that, you know, choosing that particular thread and then sticking to that, it needs a lot of uh, constant research and constant rechecking.
2: Uh, what would be your advice for new writers?
0: Read. <laughs> no, seriously, I think reading yes. is a continuous process. You know, it is symbiotic with writing. Hmm. Unless you read well, I don't think you can write well. Uh, because Simply because it's, a, it's it's how you master the language. You know how mm-hmm. easy you are with the language. So, language, if language is going to be your tool of expression, you have to be good in your language and language only improves with reading. So I think the first part is, please read, read different authors, different, uh, read different uh, genres, read um, different styles, uh, and then choose your style and stick to it, you know, because I think this whole thing, in the sense, uh, you can try different genre of writing, you know, you know if you go, but be very honest with your writing, that is very important. Okay. Whatever you want to write, whatever genre you are writing, I think honest writing shows through, it does show. Because if you are jaded, if you are tired, just stop, don't write. Because that is going to reflect in your writing and that is going to be perceived by your readers. So I think uh, uh, it is a very transparent form of uh, communication. So I think you have to be very careful. You cannot say writing is, when you're saying it, uh, writing can be... uh, uh, very revelatory of the writer, author himself, you know, so you have to very, be very careful. So I think here I would tell the writer, be extremely, be, be honest, uh, tell your story well and uh, write it well too.
1: What
2: are you currently reading uh, and could you tell us the books that really got you thinking?
0: Uh second uh, let me ta- talk about the second part. I think there's so many books which have influenced me sometime or the other. It always happens so that's why when people ask me who's your favorite author or favorite book, I cannot really say because it doesn't because it is an amalgamated uh, experience you know where mm-hmm. uh, you've been reading since let's say I from what I remember five, seven mm-hmm. and you know and I love I have this bad habit of I don't know what, but this is a habit of mine I keep going back to my books, you know those old books. And I sort of relive them and, you know, uh, recapture. And every time I realize I go through those books, uh, it's a different experience altogether. I see the characters in a different way. I, I relive in a different way. So I think it's also because it's sort of determined by your own uh, age and experience. So books for me, it's, it's a constant influence. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, what do we say? Uh it's like watering your thoughts. So reading, mm-hmm. I think, actually is watering your thoughts constantly. So I would not name anyone because it's not fair on the other. So there have been uh, <laughs> vast. Uh, a lot of, there have been many authors who have okay. definitely. But one author I would definitely would, uh, would like to say mention here is only because I think uh, I constantly have at my bedside is P.G. Woodhouse. Uh, because I think he's the best stress buster. And I have this uh, habit of reading two books at a time, but PG Woodhouse is always a constant. So it could be any other book, but PG Woodhouse is there because I actually realize he brings, he's one author who makes me laugh. And even if I'm reading that same book the seventh time or the tenth time, he still manges, manages to make me smile. So I think for me, he is uh, <laughs> he is uh, he's not, uh, he just he, he really brings joy to my life. Uh, what I'm reading now, as I said, uh, right now I'm reading my own uh, manuscript, so <laughs> that is quite jaded. <laughs> <shady. laughs> so since I'm writing my next one, but um, um, what have I read? Which is the last book I read? Oh God! Uh, I think I'm uh, right now. I'm reading the second volume of Savarkar, uh, uh, Vikram Sampath, mm-hmm. and uh, with PG widows Okay.
2: <laughs> thank so. you so much uh, for uh, giving so much insights into the, your writing process and where uh, new writers should start and how the dancers should take their inspiration and you know and I think your new book is of course as you said is a, is a must read for all the performing artists because it's, it has some links to uh, the music and the dance as you said thank you so much Kavita for coming on Indian Entrepreneur and giving us uh, your time
0: yeah, thank you very much. Giving, I think I really enjoyed this interview. And uh, I think I must have said things which I have not mentioned before. But yes, you know, because as you say, even interviews are very revelatory. So uh, thank you very much for giving me an opportunity to talk and discuss and chat and debate. Yes. Not debate, but definitely chat. Yes. So, <laughs> but, but yes, I, I definitely you bring up, you, your question brought out uh, points which I would not have otherwise considered. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you, readers. And I hope you like my books. I hope you keep reading them, and please do share your feedback anytime, anywhere. I'm definitely available on all types of uh, social media. So do let me know, because I think feedback is one of the most important factor in an author's life. Uh, You stand corrected, you stand stand criticized, you stand uh, applauded, but I think uh, criticism is as important as uh, Applause. I right? you seriously you believe that. So, thank you. Thank you again to everyone.
1: So, I hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Mrs. Kavita Kane on Indian Artpreneur. We shall catch you soon on our next episode. Do not forget to subscribe to our podcast on Google, Apple, or Spotify. Do follow us on Instagram and Facebook for quick updates. Thank you and have a good day.